What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Life Below Parallel podcast. Today, Matt and I sit down and interview our good friend, fellow regional judge, John Durrett. John Durrett is a CrossFit coach just like us. Uh, he works out of Underdog. Am I right there? Underdog Mixed Martial Arts. Underdog Mixed Martial Arts. It's somewhere in Connecticut, I think, Hartford. And yeah. I've known, I've had the pleasure of knowing John for almost five years now. And I like to think that he's become a very good friend. Uh, and John regularly shares a story with, uh, with his audience. And I think it's time this story gets presented to a bigger audience. Uh, but, but before we get there, let's uh, get a little bit more lighthearted. And, you know, God damn it, it sucked not seeing you this year. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well, man. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been good to be, uh, you know, we're, I'm not really in the, uh, the CrossFit space too much anymore. Um, uh, you guys both know, I mean, my, my original sport was martial arts and, um, I, uh, I did martial arts pretty much without stopping for like 14, 15 years. And, uh, CrossFit was like a really fun way to, to, to channel all that energy into something a little different. But I, I think I always thought it would be a temporary thing. So it, it's really good to be back on the martial arts side of things and, uh, doing that again. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, I, I still coach strength and conditioning here, but it's, you know, CrossFit prepares you for the unknown, the unknowable, uh, the classes here are geared to prepare you for fighting somebody. Right. So there's a much more directed, um, uh, goal. And we get some gen pop folks we get some, uh, we get a lot of LEO people, uh, a lot of military, and obviously a ton of combat sport athletes. So that, that's awesome, John. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into the dirt? All right, uh, let's see. Uh, what's uh, yeah? I uh, grew up here in Connecticut for the most part. Um, uh, graduated here with a degree in English literature. And uh, sort of stumbled my way into a job as a, uh, a collegiate strength and conditioning coach. Um, did that for about three years. And uh, during that time, worked mostly part-time as a, as a CrossFit coach. Then did the, the CrossFit thing more full-time for a couple of years. And now I'm back doing this. Uh, I don't know. I've uh, yeah, I've been a martial artist my whole life. I've got a black belt in, uh, in karate. I've got you know, more than 10 years experience in uh, Muay Thai, uh, currently working on uh, Kali, which is Filipino stick fighting, and um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've got my, uh, my blue belt in that, and I'm, I don't want to jinx myself. I think I'm getting close to the purple belt. So. Oh, dang, that's awesome. I just got on, back on the mats finally for the first time in like six years, two weeks ago, and I feel like I don't even deserve my blue belt anymore because I'm getting my ass kicked. Uh, but it's it's definitely a humbling and a relieving experience to be doing something like that again because it's just such a fun way to you know not only improve your your health because it is a it is a form of exercise you are moving your body a lot but it's also a great way to you know to challenge your mind because Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is just all about thinking ahead you got to be ready 
for your, you got to be ready to make your next move and you got to be ready to potentially know what your, your opponent is about to do as well, to be able to play along with them and, you know, ha have the upper hand. Uh, I really, uh, that's awesome that you feel like you're about ready to get that purple belt. I'm anxious <laughs> to see that happen because, it because it's, uh, it's definitely a milestone. The nice thing is like, you know, doing it as an older guy, I don't want to say an old guy, but you know, <laughs> uh, when I, when I, when I started jiu-jitsu, I was 20 and now I'm, now I'm 30 and it's just like, it's a lot. I have different reasons, and and I'm I'm having a lot more fun. I had, I had a big chip on my shoulder when I was younger, so it's it's been it's been a lot more uh, uh, rewarding now, in a lot of ways. So I've really been enjoying that. And yeah, outside of that, uh, currently the uh, the banner we fly here is the the power athlete stuff. So got my uh, my block one under power athlete, and we uh, we technically follow their methodology of coaching. Um, with what we do here, uh, which isn't isn't terribly disparate from what what a lot of good gyms are doing out there. So uh, we just we just have certain intention on stuff, and and the way we teach movements a little different. But uh, I find it works real well for the guys trying to to get in the cage and fight. So that's awesome. Being prepared to that, being being prepared for that is physically is really really challenging. Um, you know, I had six amateur fights. That was actually how MMA and jujitsu is actually how I got led into the CrossFit space. I had six amateur fights, and it's a it's a different world. Like, <laughs> it's a different it's a different mentality when that door shuts, and you know the person across from you wants to beat the shit out of you, and you want to beat the shit out of them at the same time. That's different. So different. So now that we've got a little bit of a, a background of, on, you know, what you do, a little bit of who you are, uh, I see once or twice a year on your social in the time that I've known you, you, you start to tell your story and you mentioned that you're 30 years old. And, you know, before we started recording, you said that this stuff happened 10 years ago. So why don't you give us, uh, why don't you take us for a walk and tell, let us know what happened when you were 20 years old? Oh man. So, I mean, uh, well, when I usually tell the story, I go back to like, uh, middle school. Okay. That, that, that sort of when, um, you know, I, uh, when I was younger, I was a really angry kid and it didn't help that I was, my parents thought martial arts would help, but I just, I just fought more people. Um, <laughs> I, got a lot of, I got in a lot of fights and, um, you know, I was in the principal's office all the time and, uh, my parents took me to like counseling and stuff, you know, to like, I had to, I went to go see these therapists and, and all this stuff. And it was just like, um, I feel bad because they're, they're both going to listen to this. Uh, and this is a, a tough memory, I think. But, uh, I was, I was a really angry kid. And, uh, my mom says that a lot. She says, you know, I don't know what happened, but one day you just, you seemed a lot angrier and it just, uh, persisted. Um, and, you know, growing up, it, it's tough, man, when you've got a kid who's like that. Uh, and I, I didn't, I didn't want my, my brother, um, has, has a bunch of stuff. He's got, he's autistic. We think he's on the spectrum and uh, he's got some other stuff too. That's undiagnosed. And, uh, we have, uh, Tourette's runs in the family, you know? So if you, if you watch me long enough, I'll twitch and I'll, I'll make little beeping noises and stuff. My, my wife thinks it's adorable, which is nice. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I didn't want to be this person who like, uh, 
was on pills or anything. So I think I kind of, for a long time, uh, lied to the, to the therapist and told them what they wanted to hear. And, you know, uh, I got my act together a little bit and the older I got, the, the less I got in fights, but I turned a lot of that energy inward. Um, and, and I either combated my, my negativity by, uh, stress eating or, uh, self-harm. Uh, I, I would cut myself. Um, and, uh, when I got old enough to, to get away with it, I, uh, I started drinking heavily, uh, when I was around, um, 18, uh, like real heavily, like I would black out, uh, and just, just, you know, wake up in a fucking bathtub somewhere. Um, uh, wake up in someone's apartment. I didn't, didn't know where I was, uh, more than once woke up next to somebody. I didn't really know, you know, it got, got pretty bad. Um, and I had a bunch of stuff, uh, uh, I had a bunch of stuff go wrong at the same time. I, um, I was going to college, uh, at Northeastern university in Boston. And, um, I had gotten a merit scholarship there. Cause, uh, I don't know, I'm a smart kid. I, I tried to do well in school. And, uh, I had this merit-based scholarship that I had to keep a three, eight, uh, to maintain, which was really tough on me. Uh, and I ended up leaving Northeastern. So I, I, I was afraid I couldn't hack it. I, I made it through the freshman year. couldn't make it, you know, and I, so my self-esteem was pretty low. Um, and I ended up going to UConn cause I could, it was a cheaper school and I had some friends in the area and I thought maybe that would help. And, uh, you guys probably don't know this. Um, growing up, I was, uh, I was a singer and I actually sang like opera and stuff and all these, uh, these things. Uh, and so I, I went to UConn to do, uh, theater and perhaps do like musical theater and stuff. And, um, <laughs> it's my sophomore year. It's like 2009, I think, uh, I had an audition and, uh, I was already definitely fighting some depression stuff and, and this and that, but I just thought that was normal. And I, I, I remember this audition really well. I, I, my girlfriend has broken up with me. I was really, you know, down the dumps. Uh, I feel like I'm useless. I'm not hacking it well enough in school. I had this audition and the person I auditioned for said, you know, uh, you are so fat. You'll never get roles like this because you just look the wrong way. These roles are people who are attractive and, and skinny and good looking. And, you know, at my heaviest, I was 315 pounds, you know? Um, and, and that, that was really rough, man. And, uh, so I started hitting the gym really hard and I got down, uh, in weight big time, probably about, uh, I lost like 50 or 60 pounds, but the, uh, the depression didn't go away and just got darker on some days than others. And, and some days I, I couldn't really, uh, so it was wild other days and depressed some days. And it was definitely having a rough effect on my, my roommate is the MVP, man. He was, he was the man he, he, he owes as much credit as anybody to that kid for saving my life. But, um, uh, cause he's the one who sort of called it in. Um, but things kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, uh, I had a prescription for, uh, for Trazodone, which is basically a horse tranquilizer. So, uh, one night I took a bunch of Trazodone and, uh, drank a bunch of liquor. And, uh, thankfully I, uh, <laughs> I threw up, uh, if I hadn't, you know, it might not have gone so well. And I, I called in uh, my, well, my roommate 
helped me. He called in and, and you know, got me in the hospital. Um, and I spent uh, about a day in a, in a psych ward. And then I spent nine days in a, in a mental hospital uh, where they sort of analyzed me and tried to figure out um, why I did what I did. And it's, dude, it's, it's, it's impossible to explain to somebody who hasn't done it. But, you know, you're in this place. We weren't even allowed to have pencils or pens, you know? Uh, you couldn't have your own clothes, anything, you know, everything's taken from you. Um, you could, you could read books, but only under supervision, you know, in this, like this center room where they have like four orderlies there. And, uh, you know, every morning you wake up and the first thing they ask you is, do you, do you still want to kill yourself? And every day for eight days, I said, yes, you know? And on the ninth day, I was like, I think I'm okay. And then you go into outpatient. I was an outpatient for I think three months I had to, uh, I had to go in. If I didn't go in, they were going to, you know, uh, uh, report me and I had to go back into inpatient. So, um, spent three months doing rehabilitation and outpatient care. Uh, and, uh, I eventually they, they did some brain scans and I got diagnosed with, uh, with bipolar disorder. Um, and, uh, initially they really heavily medicated me, which was my greatest fear was being on these medicines. Um, cause what they really do is they turn you into a vegetable, you know, they take away all your feeling. Um, and, uh, so, you know, they, they put me on medicine for a while and I ended up going, uh, going cold Turkey on that. And I found a, a therapist who was great, who helped me navigate without the medicine. And, uh, you know, we, we, we tried a lot of different alternative stuff, meditation, uh, hypnosis, um, uh, lots of just reprogramming the brain kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, um, I still, still battle with every day because I'll have weeks or days or months where I'm really depressed and I'll have weeks and days and months where I can't sleep because I'm up and I'm, I, I want to take over the world. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy, man. And it's, it sounds like, when you hear about manic stuff, it sounds really cool. You're like, oh, you have a ton of energy. You must get so much done. But the energy is so overwhelming. You can't do anything with it. You just sit there as a little ball of anxiety. Like, I need to do everything, but I can't do anything. So it's pretty rough. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I was, I was mentioning before we, we started recording. Um, when all this happened, you know, my, my parents, my dad, uh, you know, flew up to Connecticut like that day and, you know, saw me in the hospital and was freaking out. and. My mom, you know, was on the phone. She came up like a day later. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they were super supportive and did the best they could. Um, but there was this, uh, this talk of like, you really, you know, don't, don't tell anybody about this. You know, keep this quiet. And they, you know, I, I love my parents, man. And they, they were trying to help me, you know. They, were, they didn't want me to be stigmatized. They said, if, if, you, if you tell people about this, they're going to think that something's wrong with you. And, and, you know, as a, as you're a parent, man, you don't want anyone thinking poorly of your kids or, 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 or giving them any disadvantages. So they said, Hey, keep this quiet. You don't want people to, to judge you on it. And that made a lot of sense to me. So I was like, all right, sure. I won't tell anybody, you know? And so a few people, a few people knew about it, but, uh, mostly I kept it really quiet, um, uh, for, for years. And, um, a few years after it happened, uh, a friend of mine, uh, called me and she had known that I was in the hospital and knew about the bipolar and everything. Cause we were pretty close. 
And uh, she was planning to take her life uh, that night. And so I, uh, it was like, I remember like it was yesterday. It was like one in the morning and I was, <laughs> this is back when I was doing what we call mercenary coaching. So I was working at like three different places and I had to be up at four in the morning to go to my first coaching job. And I was like, you know, I guess I'm not sleeping. So I drove over, picked this girl up, brought her to the hospital, um, you know, got her admitted. And I, I, you know, I got some coffee and was heading to work. And I thought, man, if, if this, if this girl didn't know about what I went through, who would she have called? You know, like, what would she have done? What would have happened to her? Uh, and, and it's sort of, it, you know, look, man, I'm not, I'm not anybody's hero, but if, if I hadn't, if that girl didn't know about me, she, she might've killed herself. And so I thought, man, is my silence worth shirking that responsibility of, of telling people that there's a road here you can go down that doesn't lead to self-destruction, you know? So I, I decided at that point, uh, every year, um, and it never gets easier, but every year on uh, uh, National Suicide Awareness Month and uh, the National Mental Health thing, I, I put up a post and say, you know, this is my story. Uh, this is what I went through. I go through it every day. Um, I, I'm going to keep going through it. And if you're out there and you're going through something, just know that other people are going through that, have gone through it. And, and they're there are people out here who are, are fighting through what you're fighting through and it's, it's, it's worth your time to fight back, you know? Yeah. You know, I think one thing that I want to go back to real quick is when you said about your, your audition and the person told you that you were too fat and how, you know, you lost the weight, but you were still unhappy. You know, I think, I think we need to drive home real quick that there's a major point to be made that you're not going to feel better about yourself by changing your body. By, there's no, there's no self-improvement on the other side of achie- achievement. It, it's going to come down to changing the way you think or getting help to help you understand what you're going through. Right, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, another, another cool little story that that's right in line with that. Um, you know, I, I lost a ton of weight and so I had all this excess skin. Right. And, uh, I got some of the skin removed on the, uh, the front of my body. And, uh, I still had these pockets on the back and, uh, I went back to the same plastic surgeon who did the front and I said, Hey doc, I want to get, this was, this was years later, but I said, I want to get the back cut off. And dude, how cool is this story, man? This woman's a plastic surgeon, right? Yeah. He says, why? And I'm like, what do you mean why? Like, you're, this is your job. You're going to- Yeah, like, just take my money. And she said, is that going to make you feel better? And my brain was like, what? <laughs> and she, yeah, she was like, she said, I think that your problem isn't your body, it's in your head. And she said, you need to go home and you need to decide if you can be happy with yourself because I don't want to cut you open again. You know, I don't want to do any more surgeries here. And she said, uh, you can call me in two weeks. If you call me in two weeks and you want to do this, we'll do it. 
But if you don't call me, I'll know you made the right choice. Yeah. And so I left there like kind of in shock. Like this person's whole job is, is you know, we talk about an, an ethical person, right? You yeah. know, who really gets the point. Um, and that was, that was a good trigger for me. That was only a few years ago. Uh, that was probably like four years ago. Um, so even, even then I was still uncomfortable in my body. And that was when I really made, I forced myself to make the psychological shift to say like, you know, look at all. And it, it is a, it is a process of, of changing the mentality of instead of being mad at my body for the one or two things wrong with it, look at all the cool shit my body can do. You know, I mean, you do all this awesome BMX stuff, you know, uh, we, we both do jujitsu, uh, Matt Gallo can handstand walk 400 meters on one hand, you know, I mean, like, there's, <laughs> everyone's got these, these talents, right? And it's, it's important to celebrate all the amazing things about your body. And that's where the change comes from, not from losing weight, not from getting shredded, but from, from recognizing how cool it is that your, your body gets to do all this stuff. Let's, let's repeat that. It's important to celebrate all the amazing things that your body can do. You know, we have a personal, we have a personal record board for when everybody uh, reaches a new milestone, gets a new achievement. And, you know, I see some people that just like, they won't write theirs down because they feel like it's not good enough. Right. You know? Like, oh, you know what, I'll write it down when I do this, when I do X, when I do Y, when I do Z. And I'm like, no, you need to celebrate every milestone because, you know, you're better than you were yesterday. Right. So, you know, and there's a, there's a funny thing in CrossFit too, and you guys probably, I, I saw it for years. We, at, at this gym now, we don't have an RX or a scaled. Yeah. We just have the workout and then everyone really modifies to, to fit what they have to do. But one thing that used to break my heart, and I'm sure you guys see this all the time, is the athlete who scales the workout and then crushes it and then feels bad afterwards. And it's like... I hate that. Yeah, easy, right? Like, was that hard for you? Yeah, it was terribly hard. All right, then it wasn't. Then scale doesn't mean easy. Scale means correct for the person, literally by definition. We yeah. scale for your needs. Right, it was still hard. Yeah, uh, I I emceed a CrossFit comp uh, two weekends ago, I think, three weekends ago, uh, over at Relentless with uh, with McDermott, and dude, the the scaled athletes were going so hard, and I was amped up emceeing it, you know, and it's such a shame when folks don't do the workout as prescribed, and they're like, oh, I didn't accomplish anything. Like, no, man, you kicked ass. Yeah. You destroyed it. Good for you. So, yeah, it's all about that mentality shift of, of being impressed by yourself instead of trying to hold yourself to some who knows what standard, right? Right. So you say that it's still a battle. What are some go-tos when you start to feel yourself, you know, closing in and, and feeling that darkness come back around? Like, You've, you've had to have created some behaviors by now to help get yourself out of that position. What, what could you suggest maybe, or at least let people know what helps you that maybe could potentially help them or create something similar that could help them when, sure. when the darkness starts to consume them? 
I can tell you, man, there's definitely, definitely a few things that have really helped uh, just in my life. Uh, one thing has been, uh, the, the two biggest things are, um, I get, I don't know if awareness is the right word. We'll go over that first. So just to have an understanding of the fact that these, these emotions, not that they aren't real, but they're not logical, right? There's, there's a, my life, even though I'm depressed, right? Because the chemical imbalance is there. My life is okay. I've got a beautiful wife. You know, I've got a, a business that I, a job that I love. Um, I, I live in a good neighborhood. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food on the table. So an awareness of the fact that even though I'm feeling this like terrible darkness, the truth is that that's not where my life actually is. Uh, and, and an awareness that even though I'm feeling manic or depressive or whatever the, the case on that day, it's very, very, very vital to me to recognize that this is not anyone else's fault. And I never, I never bring it out, right? If I need to go lock myself in a room for two hours, I do that. But I don't, I don't, I don't take the energy towards, or I try my damn best. I don't take the energy towards my wife, my coworkers, uh, the clients, my friends, my family, right? I try to keep it as much uh, in, in a healthy way. I try to keep it in um, and process it myself without putting it on others. And then the, uh, the, the, the biggest thing by far has been a sense of patience because the, it's almost like, it's actually, it's just like jujitsu, man. If someone's got a choke and they're locking it in and I panic, I've lost. If I can stay calm, I can fight the choke, I can escape, and I can get into a good position. And dealing with mental health is kind of the same thing, right? That choke is right there. It's locked in. If I panic, it's all over. Or, you know, uh, for, for another thing, you know, if I'm, uh, if I'm on the 15 pull-ups in Fran and I start thinking about what's going on, like, I, I'm going to want to puke, right? You have to, all right, calm down. This is just a workout, right? I'm having fun with my friends. It's okay, you know, forget the clock. I'm going to have fun here. Same idea, right, is, is having that patience to say, you know, don't, don't do anything irrational. Be here, be here with the emotion. Feel it, you know, feel, feel the craziness, feel the, the, the darkness, whatever it is. Recognize it, accept it, and then, and then, and then, and then <laughs> you know, that, that, that takes take like one. Like one. You know, I, I dealt with some, like, I think it was just like teenage, like mind, like mind development shift, you know, feeling like I was in a bad place, but I never, I never actually got to that point where I felt like it was that bad. And When you were sitting there and you were like, all right, I'm fucking doing this. I'm going to eat these pills. I'm going to drink this booze. Like, what was going through your head? It was, uh, it was uh, a mix of things. A mix of things. Man, um, and, um, part, of it part of it was that I, I just... 
Oh, it's, it's all dark stuff. <laughs> Part of it was uh, I, I didn't see any sort of positive aspect to me continuing living. You know, it just seemed like. <sighs> it's hard to talk about when I'm in like a good mental place, but it was like, <laughs> it, you know, it was this thing where it was like, why uh, I'm going to the, the, the usual thought thought loop was. Uh, at some point, I'm going to die anyway, right? And no matter what we do on Earth, eventually we're all forgotten, you know? And uh, so why, why continue to suffer? Why continue to deal with this disorder and this illness if I'm going to suffer the rest of my life and die anyway? And, and that's it. So might as well just take the short road. And, uh, you know, um, there's an old quote. I think it's Seneca. Uh, there's a quote that's something along the lines of like, uh, suicide is always an open door, right? Uh, where, you know, if you want to get off the train, you can get off the train, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it, it, what it really was, was, and it was usually more the depressive phases than the manic phases. Um, it would get so bad and so dark. And dude, I wasn't, I was training, but I wasn't training the way I train now. Um, and uh, I wasn't eating a good diet. And there, there were all these things that you hear about that can make depression less bad. And they help. If you've got like a good so support structure and you're eating well and you're sleeping well and you, you're being active, that can help curb a lot of this stuff. And I wasn't doing a lot of that. So I, I, I haven't, I mean, you know, it, all that stuff helps a lot. But yeah, it was just this idea of like, why, why am I struggling? Why am I working so hard to, to, to deal with this negativity? And is it, is it worth it? Is it worth putting myself through this, you know? And, uh, you know, that, that night, the answer was, no, it's not worth it. And uh, so, I, you know, that, that's, that's the action you take there, which is uh, rough. What would you say to, you know, somebody right now who you know is experiencing this? Like, like, I mean, I know a lot of people who are going through this don't really want to hear what other people have to say. But, I mean, you can always open up with, look, man, I've been there. I was in your shoes. I tried to do it. And then what do you say next once you have their attention? So there's, there's two approaches I usually use. And I, I, now I've had, I think, five or six folks uh, come to me and say, like, hey, you know, about doing this. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but the, the two things I usually go through are, are the first thing I say is uh, you try to keep them on the phone. Right. So if they're really, if they're really in that bad spot, then the goal is just keep them on the phone. Right. Uh, hey, let's talk. Uh, I'm driving over now. Let me, let me see what's up and you know, I'll, I'll be there in a bit. So just keep talking to me. So if you're the person dealing with somebody, um, you know, that, that's the best way I would approach it. Right. And, and what I found, uh, I was never really in bad space if I wasn't alone. You know, the being alone part of it. Um, but there, there's something that was said to me. 
long time uh, that, that sort of helped me, which is it's it really, it's, there's a certain power to it, right? It, if you're going through mental illness and you're dealing with uh, bipolar, depression, anything, uh, there, there's a certain power in the fact that it's it's on you to to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, there was a really neat metaphor a friend of mine gave me when I was really struggling. And this might not be the thing that everyone needs to hear, but it was certainly what I needed to hear. Uh, it's my uh, this kid Rob, and he said, "Everyone in the world, right, is on the ocean." you're sort of, you've got your boat, right? And so Ron's got a boat, Matt's got a boat, I've got a boat, and each can only keep one person. If, uh, if you're dealing with mental illness, essentially, you've, you've fallen off your boat, right? That was a metaphor. And my boat and you saw me fall off you can't pull me on your boat because we'll both go under right you can cheer me on you can shine a light to show me where to go you can encourage me to get back into my boat but at the end of the day i'm the guy who has to swim into that boat and pull myself on the boat and and navigate through the ocean right and that that to me was really empowering, right? Was this is this is my fight, this is my struggle and my thing I have to go through. Not in a negative way, not in a what was me way, but in a way of saying taking ownership of it and saying something I can move beyond, conquer, and, and be strong through. Um, and I always I always come back to that metaphor of the the boats at sea, and and you know, it, it, you might luck out and you've got a. You know, people with no no mental illness, they've got clear sailing all the time. But uh, some of us, you know, it's uh, you're going to be in a stormy sea. Uh, got to learn how to navigate it. And, and that's on you and on your boat, you know. And I, I, I try to empower people with that idea. This is your fight. Right. So that, that I, I try to get folks to, to be because more you're in that victim mentality of. Oh, the illness is happening to me. This is happening to me. Uh, that's the toxic. That's tear you apart. And the more you can say, I'm the person trying to get control, it'd be good for you. All right, man. So I think we covered the bases and you know, we've given a message to people that we believe that can truly, truly help them if they're dealing with this struggle. So we're going to close this off with one last question. What does a life below parallel mean to you? <laughs> Dude, I, that's a great question. Um, for me, you know, when you think about being below parallel, that's sort of the, the worst part of the squat, right? And, and you know, it's, it's about that grind and sort of the, the hard part of, of pushing through. But you know, I, there's that famous adage, right, of, uh, you know, uh, life is like doing a squat, you know? Something tries to push you down, you drive against it, 
And, and that, that below parallel spot is the hardest part of that. So I, I think a life below parallel means that you have the grit to, to work through life and to, and to be resilient and to, to, to endure. Resilient is such a good word. I, I love it. Matt, do you have anything to follow up with here? Not to follow up, but I just want to thank you, John. I was just listening in on your story. And uh, I think we can, as we've been trying to do, Ron and I, with this podcast, have been trying to just reach out to people who might need it. And I think your message aligns perfectly that with that. Where can people find out about you or follow you? Oh, man. Uh, Instagram is probably the easiest. It's just at Johnny Durrett. Um, I try to keep that one simple. And uh, yeah, I mean, fuck, find me on Facebook, man. People hit me up on Facebook all the time who I don't know about this stuff. Because <laughs> uh, I, I don't think, I think if you're, if you're dealing with mental illness, then you and I actually know each other, you know, because we're, we're fighting the same beast. Mm-hmm. So I, I always invite folks to hit me up on, on social media and then have a chat if they need it. Well, we appreciate you for being so, so open with us today and, um, and for o- opening your doors to people who need help. I really... Uh, that's inspiring, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, Thank you so much, John. Yeah, guys. All right. Guys, thanks for listening to Life Below Parallel. We're out. <laughs>